Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in a series of sermons where we are exploring some of the most well-known parables that Jesus tells, and that's continuing on in this week's episode. Today, we are going to be exploring the story of the Good Samaritan, and the story of the Good Samaritan, it might just be the most famous parable that Jesus ever tells. But here's the thing, even though we all have heard and we all feel like we know the story of the Good Samaritan, it doesn't mean that we fully understand and appreciate it. Because, believe it or not, the parable of the Good Samaritan isn't really about who your neighbor is. It's about so much more than that. But let's get into this episode's sermon and you'll see what I mean. There are certain stories that we have all been told since we were kids. Our parents told them to us, their parents told them to them, and we tell them to our kids as well. And we've all heard these kind of stories so many times that we think we know exactly what they're about. Like the story of the three little pigs. Now, I'm sure that you remember the story of the three little pigs. But even though you have probably heard this story or told this story yourself more times than you could possibly remember... I hope you don't mind if I take a couple of minutes to tell it again today. And since we all know how every good fairy tale starts, I know that I have to start the story of the three little pigs the right way. So, once upon a time, there were three little pigs. The first little pig decided to build his house out of straw. The second little pig decided to build his house out of sticks. And the third little pig decided to build his house out of bricks. Well, the three little pigs all got to work, and it didn't take long for the first little pig to finish his house since it was only made out of straw. And it also didn't take long for the second little pig to finish his house because it was only made out of sticks. So, the first little pig and the second little pig, they spend most of their day singing and dancing while the third little pig worked and worked and worked to build his house out of brick. Now, It wasn't long after all three little pigs finished building their houses that the big bad wolf came along. And that big bad wolf, he went to the first little pig's house and he said, Little pig, little pig, let me in! But the little pig replied, Not by the hair on my chinny chin chin! So the big bad wolf told the little pig, Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in! Now, I'm going to pause right here in the story for just a second because I know that there are at least a couple of variations in the story at this point. One of those variations has the first little pig fleeing to safety at his brother's house. And in the other variation of the story, well, let's just say that the wolf ends up having a ham dinner. But since we're in church today, we're going to go with the more child-friendly version of the story. So the wolf, he blew down the house and the first little pig ran off, wee, 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 all the way to the second little pig's house. And then the same thing happens again. The big bad wolf, he comes to the second little pig's house and he says, little pig, little pig, let me in. But the second little pig tells him, not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And then the two little pigs scamper off to the third little pig's house. And then we go through the whole thing one more time. The big bad wolf, he comes along and he says, Little pig, little pig, let me in. But the third little pig replies, Not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. So the wolf says, Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. But this time, the big bad wolf 
couldn't do it. He couldn't blow down the third little pig's house. And again, there are a couple of different endings to the story, but it's sufficient for us to say here that nothing good happens to the big bad wolf at the end of the story. And the three little pigs, well, they lived like all the other good guys at the end of our fairy tales do. They lived happily ever after. Now again, this story has been passed down for generations. And it's been passed down for generations partly because it's just a fun story to tell. But it's also been passed down for generations because it teaches our children a lesson. Or as we often put it, there is a moral to this story. And the moral of the story of the three little pigs is essentially that we should always do things the right way, not the quick way. We should always do things the right way and not the quick way. But here's the thing. That may be the, the moral of the story of the three little pigs, but it doesn't mean that it's actually true. As a matter of fact, one of America's most successful CEOs, Bill Gates, he took a completely different approach while he was running Microsoft. Bill Gates' philosophy was to actually give his laziest workers the most difficult tasks. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But Bill Gates had a reason why. Bill Gates gave his laziest employees the most difficult tasks because he knew that they would find the easiest ways to get those tasks done. And that's just one example that I can give you. We could also talk about one of Aesop's fables. Now, the one about the tortoise and the hare, we all remember that story. So we all know what the moral of the tortoise and the hare is, right? I mean, I've always been told that the moral of the tortoise and the hare is that slow and steady win the race. But you know what? It doesn't. It's just not true. Now, as many of you know, I'm a little bit of a runner. And over the years, I've competed in my fair share of 5Ks and 10Ks, and even in a couple of mini marathons. I even have the t-shirts and the medals to prove it. And as I think back on the last big race that I competed in, which was the Kentucky Derby Festival's mini marathon last year in 2019, there's really only one way to describe my pace as I ran those 13.1 miles. And that is slow and steady. My slowest mile took me just over 11 minutes. My fastest mile took me just under 10 minutes. And that's pretty slow and that's pretty steady. But you know what? I didn't win the race. As a matter of fact, the guy who, who won the full marathon ran 26.2 miles in less time than it took me to run 13.1. So the moral of the tortoise and the hare isn't that slow and steady win the race. It's really that pride comes before the fall. Because if that rabbit had just run from start to finish without feeling so arrogant that he could stop and take a rest or eat or do whatever else he did along the way in the story, the hare would have finished before the turtle even hit the first turn. But what does any of this have to do with today's sermon? Well, today we're continuing on in a series of sermons where we're exploring some of Jesus' most memorable parables. And the parable that we're going to be reading today, it's a parable that most of us have been able to retell since we were just little kids. But like I've tried to show you through the stories of the three little pigs and the tortoise and the hare, just because we know this story doesn't mean that we fully understand this story. Just because we know this story doesn't mean that we fully understand the story. 
So let's turn to Luke chapter 10 to take a look at this parable today. We'll start reading in verse 25. This is what Luke writes. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what's written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right, so he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him, and left him near death. Now, it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road, and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot. He saw the injured man and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was the neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, so clearly the story that I just read to you is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And even though the word Samaritan refers to an ethnic and religious identity for a group of people who live halfway around the world, the folks over at Dictionary.com suggest that half of all English speakers know what the word Samaritan means. And we know what the word Samaritan means because of this parable. A parable that many of you listening to this message right now have heard more times than you could possibly count. And since we are all so familiar with this parable, we think we know what this parable is all about. We think that this parable is a parable about what it means for us to be a neighbor. So who is a neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, it's obvious. It's the Samaritan. But here's my question for you. What makes the Samaritan the neighbor? What makes the Samaritan the neighbor in this parable? Well, Dictionary.com gives us an answer that most of us would agree with when it defines a Samaritan as one who is compassionate and helpful to a person in distress. So, Every time that I have heard preachers or Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, or just about anybody else share an opinion on this particular parable, I've heard them say the exact same thing. If you are going to be a neighbor, you must help those in need. The proverbial people left on the side of the road of life. But is that really what this parable is about? Is it? 
Let's go back to the beginning of the story and take another look at it. So in verse 25, we're told that a legal expert asks Jesus what he must do to gain eternal life. Now, this is an expert of the law, a religious scholar who studied and kept not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the laws of Moses. This is the kind of person that you might describe today as knowing the Bible cover to cover, including the cover. And that means that this legal expert, he already knows the answer to the question that he asks Jesus. That's why he doesn't seem to hesitate for even an instant with his response when Jesus flips the question back on him and asks, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? The legal, the legal expert responds, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus essentially says, yep, you got it, so just go and do that. But this religious scholar, he isn't satisfied. So he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? But that's not really what the legal expert is asking Jesus here. If we go back to verse 27, we'll start to see what he is really asking. After he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, the next thing that he says is you must love your neighbor as yourself. So when this legal expert asks Jesus, who is my neighbor, he really wants to know who he is supposed to love like he loves himself. And this is a question that we all wonder about sometimes. Who are we supposed to love? So we all really need to pay attention to Jesus' answer, which just happens to be the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we just heard how the story goes. There's a man that goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Along the way, he encounters thieves who strip, and na strip him naked, beat him up, and left him for dead. And it just so happens that a priest and then a Levite are walking down the exact same road. And it just so happens that both the priest and the Levite are both going to see this man lying on the side of the road almost to the point of death. And it just so happens that both the priest and the Levite are going to cross to the other side of the road and keep right on walking. Now, over the years, there has been a whole lot of speculation about why the priest and why this Levite would just keep right on walking. But that's not really the point of this parable. That's not why Jesus included them inside of the story that he was telling. So why does Jesus include a priest and a Levite in this parable? Well, do you remember who Jesus was telling this parable to? He was telling the parable of the Good Samaritan to a legal expert. And when we hear the word legal expert today, we think about lawyers. But this man in this story is nothing like a modern day lawyer. A legal expert in Jesus' day wasn't an expert on constitutional law or the penal code. A legal expert in Jesus' day would have been an expert in the law of Moses, which meant that he was really a religious scholar. So when Jesus includes a priest and a Levite, he's including two people that were just like the legal expert in the story. These are two people that the legal expert would have thought of as being his neighbor. Why? Well, the legal expert would have thought of priests and Levites as his neighbor because in, his, in this period of time, a neighbor would have been considered to be someone that was in your own group. A neighbor was a person with a common purpose, interest, or attitude. 
A neighbor was someone who shared a common blood, a land, a language, or a way of life. And priests and Levites and legal experts, they shared all of those things. But none of them stopped to help the man that was lying on the side of the road in this parable. A Samaritan did. Now, you might be aware that Jews and Samaritans don't exactly like each other. But in her book, The Misunderstood Jew, Amy Jill Levin explains what it was like for this Jewish lawyer to hear that a Samaritan was the one person who would stop to help. Here's what she writes. It says, we should think of, the, think of ourselves as the person in the ditch and then ask, is there anyone from any group about whom we'd rather die than acknowledge? She offered help, or he offered compassion. More, is there any group whose members might rather die than help us? If so, then we know how to find the modern equivalent for the Samaritan in our lives. For Levin, as a Jew, the modern equivalent of a Samaritan would be a member of Hamas who showed mercy on her. When she spoke to an audience who had experienced the horrors of September 11th firsthand, she suggested that the one who proved to be a neighbor in the parable would have been the equivalent of a member of Al-Qaeda. And this is the one who stopped and helped the man that was laying on the side of the road. Someone who was hated as much as the Israelites hate the people of Hamas. Someone who was as despised as much as Americans despise members of Al-Qaeda and vice versa. This was the neighbor in the story. The legal expert asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer was, a Samaritan. You are to love a Samaritan as you love yourself. And that turned this legal expert's world upside down. Because he could only see the small picture of who his neighbor was. He could only see his neighbor as someone who lived next door to him. He could only see his neighbor as someone that was living on the same street as him. He could only see his neighbor as someone who went to the same church or shopped in the same stores or ate in the same restaurants as him. And because of this, he could only see the small picture of who he was supposed to love. He thought he only had to love people just like him. But what Jesus showed him is that a neighbor is not someone who lives next door. A neighbor is anyone that God sent his son for. Let me say that again because it's important. A neighbor is not someone who lives next door. A neighbor is anyone that God sent his son for. For God so loved the world. The world. Not just priests, not just Levites, not just religious experts, and not just people who look like or act like or behave like me and you. But the whole world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So who is your neighbor? It's not just the people that you love. It's the people you hate. It's not just people that you share blood with. It's the people who want to spill your blood. It's not just the people who live next door. It's anyone that God sent his son for. So let's love our neighbor. Let's love anyone and everyone that God sent his son for. Like we love ourselves. And I want, and I want to give you a challenge to help you do this this week. I want to challenge you to pray for the Samaritans 
Those people in your life right now that you hate. Those people that you can't stand. I want you to pray for them this week. I want you to pray for them, but not out of anger or vengeance, not asking God to smite them. I want you to pray for them out of love. So when that guy on his cell phone cuts you off in traffic this week, don't lay on your horn at him. Pray for him. And when you're watching the evening news and you hear a soundbite from one of those politicians that you just can't stand, pray for them. And when you get a phone call from that sibling or that cousin or uncle or aunt that just drives you up the wall, pray for them. Why? Because they are all people that Jesus gave his life for. And you should love them even if they don't live next door. That's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is really about. It's telling us who we should love like we love ourselves. We should love everyone like we love ourselves because Jesus did. And we as followers of Jesus are called to live like him. So let's live, let's love, let's be like Jesus. Let's be like the Good Samaritan. Let's love everyone the way that God does. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you now in this time of prayer, we just thank you for the story of the Good Samaritan, God. And even though this is a story that we are so familiar with, we are thankful that we can continue to learn about what it means for us to follow you from the story, God. In this story, we're shown who it is that we are supposed to love, who our neighbors really are. And God, neighbors, you don't define our neighbors just as people who live next door to us or on the same street as us or people who are just like us, God. You tell us that anyone and everyone is our neighbor because you love every single one of us. So God, help each one of us, everyone that can hear my voice, everyone who's watching this, this sermon and participating in this service right now, God, we just pray that you help all of us to love the way that you want us to love. To love the Samaritans in our lives. Because you love us all, God. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for joining us for this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's sermon has challenged you to think about who God wants you to love. And God doesn't want you to just love your family or your friends or the people who live next door to you. God wants you to love everyone that God loves. And God loves the entire world. Now, in our next episode, we are going to be finishing up this series on parables, and we'll be taking a look at the parable of the prodigal son. Just like this week, where we saw that just because this is a familiar story that we've all heard before, doesn't mean that there's not plenty more that we can learn from it. So come back and join us for our next episode. It'll drop next Sunday around noon. And if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And I also want to invite you to come and worship with us any Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. You can join us worship with us live on our church's website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. So until we get together again, I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you and we'll see you back here next week for another sermon podcast.